0: we are got 45 seconds into injury time, it's all over! And the men of Clare of 95 are all Ireland champions. Who would believe it? Defeats in the Munster final of 94 and 93. A success in the Munster final of 95. And then today, the men who came here, and they have done it. There's been a missing person in Clare for 81 long years. Well, today, that person has been found alive and well, and that person's name is Liam McCarthy. like the last thing he said to me, the last thing he said to me in the dressing was, we will do it, and there was no ifs or buts.
1: Now, we are now opening and coming out the lower gate of what we used to call the lower gate of our house here, which is... Directly across the road from Biddy Early's Lake, and then across up from the lake, about 100 metres, you have Biddy Early's house. Now, for those who didn't know or never heard of Biddy Early, of course, she was probably the most famous, uh, probably not, we now termed a faith healer or a clairvoyant of her time. And because, of course, she had those powers, she was looked on by, I suppose, with a bit of suspicion by the church. And anyone they looked at with suspicion at that time, they tend to demonize them. But in spite of the opposition of the church at the time, Biddy had literally hundreds of people coming her here. And I often heard my grandfather, my father, telling me about people coming along this road here. They'd be parked. We are now about 300 yards from Biddy's house. And they'd, they'd be parked back as far as here, with horses and cars, waiting to meet Biddy. And she did it, of course. The medium she used was supposed to have been a bottle. And uh, of course that gave rise to the famous Biddy's bottle And legend tells us that when she died That bottle was thrown into the lake just across the way there And was never found Despite numerous efforts by different people Now uh, all my people uh, Father, uncle, everybody Would have considered it absolutely ridiculous That uh, Biddy Early had put a curse on Claire Hurling For many reasons First of all she never did anything like that to anybody She never did anything but good and the second thing was, and this is the most uh, conclusive proof of all, she died about 1884 or 1883, which was before the GA was even founded. So how this myth came into being, nobody knows. But of course, it was just used as an excuse. They just came up with, it, with some kind of an excuse to explain away all of the failures of the past. And uh, when Claire finally won in 1995, with all these headlines, the curse of early is broken. There was never any curse. Biddy Early had nothing to do with Clare not winning for 81 years. Um, so when Tony Constantine, Mike Mack and myself took over the Clare team in 1994, people saw it, I suppose, as, uh, as, as a hope that had long lasted the course of Biddy Early, which had lasted for 81 years, would finally be lifted. But we never looked at it like that at all. We looked at it on... This was an opportunity for Claire to win in All Ireland because we never believed there was any kind of a course. But ironically, when Claire did win the Munster final in 1995, I remember Mihala Maherting said to me afterwards, The curse of Biddy Early has finally been lifted. And I kind of jokingly remarked to him, I said, Maybe she was just waiting for someone from her own place to come along and lift that curse. So if ever there was a curse, that was the day it was lifted.
0: The shout will be heard from Marlin to Wexford, from Coral, to Hill to Belfast if Clare went.
1: Of course, another byproduct of the Clare's March to Glory in 95 was the revival of another huge Clare tradition, the Clare Shout. Now, we had never heard very much about the Clare Shout, so we needed to go, We know it went back to the time of De Valera.
2: I think he had a special spot for Clare. Well, of course, naturally, one can expect that since that he. Chose Clare the first on the first occasion. Uh, why he chose Clare? I suppose he followed on, on O'Connor's uh, steps. Uh, uh, when he was president, when we were parting at the two-mile uh, bridge, that's the border between Clare and Limerick, uh, he asked me to know if I had ever heard about the Clare shout. Whether somebody had told him about it or not, I don't know, but yes, I said I did. And he said, would you ever do the clear shout for me? I said, I'll make an attempt. So I did give him the clear shout. It had two echoes. This is the significance of it. It seems I didn't uh, see anything into it, of course, until then. And uh, naturally it became interesting to me when I found that the two echoes had had a significance. But he was very interested in this, uh, that's where we, where they let him have the tools in this show.
3: Woo-hoo-hoo! <laughs> woo hoo
0: A free into the Claremen, the last team that won in 1914. Tom O'Graphen with the McDonnelly, and John Shalou were on it. The Dodger Considine and Bill Considine, Michael Maloney, Robert Doherty, John Fox. James Clancy John Gairn and Shams Bellacy are the men of 95 going to rewrite the record it's a 21 and Jamesy will take it and we've gone 30 seconds into injury time Jamesy O'Connor over a 21 he will certainly go for the point he has driven it high and mighty over the bar and almost into the canal behind the canal goal
4: this was typical Tuesday um, or Thursday night so we'd initially meet in either the beers or in uh, or in Wolf Tones um, we'd tug out there um, Mike would do some upper body exercises with us um, sit-ups, press-ups, that kind of stuff um, and then we'd all done the woolly hats and the, <laughs> the layers and um, get into the cars and, and drive the short distance to to the hill here in Tullyglass um, you know, we'd park here in the, the car park in front of St. tola School um, where the two Lohans would have, uh, would have attended primary school and uh, their house is actually just up um just up on the hill there so uh generally you, you know you'd you'd approach this session with a sense of absolute dread um you know nobody ever looked forward to to the sessions here and um you know you could even sense the you know the <laughs> the listlessness of and I suppose the, the sense of anticipation of, of what was what was in front of you and uh you know you'd literally through from the cars and practically crying and you know everybody else felt exactly the same way. We we absolutely dreaded this place. Um and as I said it wasn't it wasn't particularly enjoyable uh you know know what no, what was awaiting you. So you get out of the car, stick on the boots if you hadn't put them on in with tones and um then cross the road here to the the hill itself and uh you know Mike Macdon would absolutely break your heart by saying, Right lads we've forty to do or something like that and you know you'd sink even deeper into your deeper into your boots. And I probably would have won the guys that, you know, would have been in reasonably good shape and, you know, physically would have been maybe, you know, better equipped maybe to, to run this uh, to run this hill than um, Sparrow or, you know, Liam Doyle or some of the other fellas that absolutely dreaded physical training. But, uh, as I said, you knew it was going to be tough and Mike psychologically was trying to break you before the session even started by uh, by telling you how many you had to do. So the runs themselves, I mean, we're, we're just coming up the hill now, I was um... There's a bush here, maybe you know, twenty, thirty hours from the from the road. And uh Mike could tell you into groups of five, whatever it was, and we might have ten to do from uh from here, from this position, um up to the top of the hill and as I said, seeing it in daylight, you know it looks it looks totally different to, to what it looks at at seven or eight o'clock on a on a wet, windy um, Tuesday night. And uh you know Mike would Mike would generally be at the top of the hill with the whistle. Jerry will be, um, will be here kind of starting you off in the groups and, and Tony then will be usually somewhere halfway up along kind of roaring you on, you know, so you kind of reach the top and gas for oxygen and again there seem to be, um, I, don't, I don't know I don't know what altitude trend is like but certainly at the top of that hill the air always seems to be that bit thinner uh, you know, and you literally then troop down knowing that you only had another nine of these to do and then another 30 something to do after that and as i said um you know it was it was probably as much a mental thing as a as a physical thing there's a on our right here as we're kind of heading up the hill again we're about third of the way up I suppose um there's a series of trees where you know um <laughs> fellas might uh fellas be known to disappear into <laughs> maybe uh, halfway through the session if um if the the training was taking its toll and, and at the end you know you do your, you do maybe the last four or five runs and you know there'd be water here or whatever Isostar or the Isotonic drinks um, and you know you'd hardly be able to drink this stuff and sometimes you know you'd nearly sit here for five minutes before walking out of the car and you'd be literally on some occasions you'd be literally incapable of, of starting the car and, uh, and driving home your head would just be spinning your stomach your legs your mind everything gone but as I said, look at it was, it was it was tough, very, very tough at the time. Um certainly not enjoyable, but you know, mentally it was um it was something that was very, very important to us. Um, particularly coming into the last 10-15 minutes of big matches when a lot of those games are won. So we're standing here at the top of the hill now, um, you know, looking down on, on, on all the houses and um you can see the estuary at, the estuary behind. Um Shawnee McMahon currently was a you know, good friend of mine, a club of mine is is currently living in near Spencil Hill. Um and I suppose the song itself, Spencer Hill, has, you know, is, is along with <laughs> my lovely Rose, the Clare, is probably one of the great Clare songs.
5: Last night as I lay dreaming of the pleasant days gone by, my mind been bent on rambling, and to Erin's Isle I did fly. I stepped on board the vision, I sailed out with a will. And I quickly came to anchor At my home in Spansel Hill
4: You know, we, we, we set about taking the league seriously that year And, um, you know, we, we, we had a great run in the league We won our first, um, I think, five or six league games And uh, we qualified at that stage for the, the league semi-final And went for a weekend down to down to Clarny um, Kind of a bonding weekend um, And I think, in a way, that might have been the making of us. Uh, you know, we we had a really, really great weekend. A um, couple of great nights uh, in Killarney, no better spot. And I remember, you know, rooming with Brian Lohan. And I remember just again at three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, we were just lying awake talking. And um, and I remember saying to him that, you know, did you ever think we could be like maybe Jim McEnery or server Lines and and play for Clare for ten years and and, and never win anything? And um, and I remember his response was that, you know, jeez, like we'll we'll win something. And I remember just rolling over and thinking to myself yeah he's right he's dead right
1: i myself first played minor with claire about 1970 and i finished with the seniors in 1987 so that was 17 17 years or 18 seasons even of inter-county hurling and in that time i played with many good teams you know especially in the mid-70s when we had a marvelous team that should have won a lot more than winning two league finals but the big problem I saw at, looking, at being there at the time and looking back at it afterwards was the huge drop in performance that came when the challenge was greatest in big finals, especially in Munster finals. You could see players in the dressing beforehand visibly shrivel. These were great players who gave fantastic performances in other games. But when it came to the big game, everything fell apart. Players fell apart individually and collectively the whole team fell apart when the real challenge came on. And what I learned from that, I suppose, was that the biggest challenge facing me taking over as manager and Mike McAntoni Constantine with me was to change the mindset, to change that mentality when the big day came. And you don't prepare a team overnight. You do it over a long period of time, over a period of four or five months where you're constantly reinforcing that, that everything is going to be different this year. Things are not going to be the same as they were last year. You do this during the physical training, during the hurling training. But curiously enough for Claire, I suppose the real defining moment came when players first saw that things might be different this year. Whatever about to talk about being different was when we took the players away in Easter, at Easter time in 1995, down to um, Killarney for a weekend away. And after training that day, we gathered in a, in a pub in Killarney. And at a late hour at night, shall we say, around 12 o'clock, a sing-song started. Now, the Clare players had never heard me sing because I can't sing. So I was saying, no, no, no. And then it went on to about 1 o'clock. And when, as more and more we drank, the more anxious everybody became to sing. So they all thought I would sing a song that I used to sing under fierce pressure and under much string, uh, the German clock winder. And they were all waiting for that. So I said, no, I'll sing you a song now, I said, and I want you to listen to every word. So I sang the song, Waltzing Matilda. Now, the very fact that I was singing it all got the attention of everybody. But there were two parts of it that I really emphasised. The part of it, first of all, you know, where the band played Waltzing Matilda as the ship pulled away from the quay, and amid all the tears, flag waving and cheers, we sailed off for Gallipoli, just like Claire sailing into Munster Finals before with so much hope and so much expectation and all hoping to come back victorious. And after that, I kind of stopped and then I kept going on to the next part. But the real part came was uh, towards the very end of the song. Now, by this time, I was singing in such a way that everybody was really paying attention And the last part of the song was And when the ship pulled into circular key I looked at the place where my legs used to be And thank Christ there was no one there waiting for me To grieve or to mourn or to pity And the crucial line after that was And the band played waltzing Matilda As they carried us down the gangway Nobody cheered They stood there and stared, and they turned all their faces away. I said, that's what has happened to you for the last two years, but I'll tell you, this year and from now on, it'll never happen again. There was absolutely stunned silence, and I stopped right there. There was complete, you could see almost an electric shock going through everybody. It was one of those things that wasn't planned. There was a once-off. And I'd say the players that were there in 30 years' time, they'll still refer back to what happened that night. And it happened by pure chance. But it drove into everybody's mind that, cripes, maybe this year things are going to be different.
0: Anthony Daly walks away. Is he muttering a quiet prayer right now? Wipe! the arm and then circles around while enough of player is being attended to. 1914 was the last time that Clare won the All-Ireland. 1914 when Ambie Power was the captain. Anthony Daly is the captain today. Dawhi Regan comes over. He's sportingly speaking to Anthony Daly. Is he wishing him luck we are the closing stages of the 1995 All-Ireland final? 33 and a half gone. Sherlock passes by. The man must be praying. He comes from pretty early country. Anthony Daly strikes it. Is it sweet? Is it sweet? It's over the bar. And Clare are leading in the All Ireland final with a minute and a half left. But often they have not finished yet.
6: For myself personally, I suppose it was um, winning the Munster final and um, the satisfaction out of that. And then. Uh, <laughs> The boys often talk about it like how unprepared the Clare people were for winning it. You know, we got back as far as Clarecastle that night, and there was no podium ready to had in time because they didn't expect us to win it. They threw me up on top of the bus stop, and I never forget that. liked it, and uh, I remember all I said was, um, "We'd had a good bit of crack coming home on the bus because it was a great celebration." And my mother would be an avid bingo goer on a Sunday night in Ennis. And uh, I remember saying it must be a special night when my mother wasn't gone to Bingo and Innis and <laughs> that's something that has always stuck in my head that night, you know, coming back there and uh been thrown up in the bus stop. That because that's all they had ready and they didn't expect, you know, because an an awful lot didn't travel. They were just so disillusioned with all the defeats. And um but as we often said the hardcore travelled, you know. The diehards travelled and and they're probably in some ways, the uh, the 10,000 that we look to as the real fans, you know, even to this day, I think we're probably back to that 10,000 again and they're the same 10,000 10, went up to Zeus playing Kilkenny last year in Park, you know, and you will always, always gather up, uh, you know, the extras when you're going well, but there's a real diehard support in Clare and, you know, for those people that went that day, they'll never forget that day, I think, you know, that was the day of days because as I said, so we hadn't lost All-Irelands, we had lost Munsters.
0: Is this a score for the Offaly men? Is it a lead held by David Fitzgerald on the goal line and sent back out beyond the 70-yard line? That's harped into the hand of Baker to McMahon and McMahon goes forward.
7: Personally, I suppose the, the memory that would stand out was um, when we won the Munster final. Uh, like, as I said, I didn't. I never dreamt when I was younger of All-Irelands it was just winning the Munster final and... Just remember when the final whistle went. I just went down on my knees. I just fell to my knees and I just, I, I, I just said thank you, God, like because it was just such relief. Like it was a day that we had dreamed. That was the day that we had, well, that I certainly dreamed of, was to win a Munster final.
4: I, I don't think people maybe again realise what it meant to what it meant to people, particularly the real, um, you know, genuine Clare supporters. When you look back now and see the pictures, I mean, the just the euphoria people I think were in disbelief that, you know, they'd waited so long, sixty three years, um, for this to happen. Some people I think, you know, couldn't actually believe it was happening. And I even remember towards the end of the game thinking, Jesus, as people kind of, you know, started to climb into the pitch, get off the pitch or he'll abandon it or, or some other catastrophe will befall us and, and, you know, this thing won't get finished. Um but it was just I mean, the sense of elation, like it was like a massive, I think, weight had been lifted off the shoulders of of the county and you know, Anthony's speech and, and you know just addressing him and meeting your family after the game it was you know it was a fantastic day and we went back and think to the Anner Hotel um, after the game and you know there weren't actually that many people around there it was it, it was kind of pretty much the team and some close family members and you know I think we, we watched the Sunday game and eventually kind of boarded the bus and um, and headed back into the county and we had no idea as to you know what was awaiting us I mean once we once we crossed the border and um, you know, people were out in droves, and 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 you know, it took us, it took us ages, I think, to to finally um to finally get home to um get back to us. And again, there was a, a massive reception I think, at, the West, at the West County for us. So, you know, people were just, um, I said, people were just maybe absolutely elated. It ju- it just meant so much, to them people, as I said, had travelled, you know, to countless monster finals, um, and always come home with their tails between their legs, be it a minor, twenty-one, and obviously senior level. So, you know, the week subsequent to the game, the plan was to take the take the cup around the county. And, you know, I can remember there's a there's a fellow called Don Ryan, who's a fantastic supporter. Just lives um, in a place called Summerhill, which is just round the corner of my my parents' shop in Ellis And uh, I think I I think for some reason I had the cup in one of those days um, after the Munster final, and I remember taking it up to Don and just knocking on the door. And I just said, um, y- you might like to get a look at that, you know, and. Uh, he just broke down in tears, um, you know, and I left him the cup and said, "I think I'm, I, I look, I'll call, I'll call back later, you know." And I think he he arrived down maybe later and apologised but that's what it meant to the guy, you know. He was one of those guys that you'd be pulling into to park key for a league game, you know, an hour before the game, and he'd be the first guy queuing up at the gate to get in. So for people like him who'd follow Claire Through thick and thin, really, really genuine supporters. Pat Howard another guy in Tubber who, you know, would have followed every clear game there probably was ever played past at. Um, for those people it really 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 meant the world to um, you know touring around the county I suppose you know it, it took us maybe three or four days to do it and you know obviously um, you know in different parishes if, if there was a player from that parish you know that player would would take the cup and you know it was just it was just a fantastic time and you know and I suppose if you're waiting 50 years for something and It's a great passion in your
7: life when it actually happens. It it is an emotional occasion, and there's certainly no doubt that there was lots of tears shed, like you know. But for once there were tears of joy, I suppose.
0: Johnny Dooley gets it away down to his brother Billy, beaten behind by Brian Frank Lohan, sent out again, sent in again. The Doyle is there again. Doyle sent it out inside the field. A slip there, trying to get at it back there again is Brian
3: Lohan. Look, Nan on the training field, he was a brute. He just he just um he just dictated what everyone had to do, and you did it, or else you sat outside and 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 watched other people doing it. So it was it was very simple, like it was just his way, or else no way. Um, and that was that wasn't questioned. There was no one, no one would have uh, even dared to question that. It was just that was a fact. You just had to do it, whatever way he 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 said to do it. But. Like, look, Nan constantly did things for the benefit of, of, of the players that were there, um, and everything that you did was to try and improve you as a player. No, he he was he was he was brutal, like, but but he was he was very honest, and he was um, he did everything to to try and um, improve you as a player and improve the team's performance and ensure that we'd we'd win the games. I suppose he he didn't allow you to have. <laughs> Have feelings for him or anything like that. it was just the case that um, you just did what you were told, and you you, you did everything that um th- that he asked you to do. It was it was just pure respect for him, like it was just he like we did we did everything that that, that that he asked us to do, and um you know when we were doing what he said, we were winning games, so you know you just keep doing what he says.
6: And, I mean, no one will ever forget the night the training was bad, and Stephen Meck had complained of a stomach bug, like, you know, and he pulled us all back into the dressing room. We were going kind of lethargic in training, and he came in, well, he gave a tyranny of a speech, and he started with me, and it starts with the captain, he says, and he lambasted me, and, and eventually he came around to Stephen Meck, who happened to be standing there on his clothes and hadn't trained. I don't think he just came in his tracksuit. He hit him a kind of a poke into the stomach, not in two, not it was going to hurt him or anything, but... He said, "Sick Mac, sick is coming out of Croke Park beaten." He said, "And you know, I think that was a turning point in our
4: minds about that that we weren't going settling for Munster that we had a chance now to go all the way." We said, they were looking for a particular type of player, um, you know, a player who wouldn't roll over obviously in the in, in the heat of battle. And you know, if a guy was going to give up here in the Hill and Channel or in Christine, um well then he was the same guy who would probably, you know, give up in Turles or Croke Park whenever the, whenever the pressure came on." So. Like the training, in a way, it was was psychological in the sense that you know they they pushed you. Um, you know there were certain times when they'd say things to you that you know they wanted you to react in a particular way. They were looking for a type of guy who grit his teeth and and bite his lip, or whatever. But you know at the same time was saying I'll prove you wrong. You know you so and so whatever. So I mean, Jerry you know would have would have said things to me in training. Um, you know, I I would for example, I mean I you know, when we played matches in training, um Christy Rusty Chaplin um was one guy who would often be remarked for me, you know, Rusty was a you know, a tough, really tough, awkward kind of player who'd you know, who kinda of wire into you and you know, um I'd have awful battles with Rusty in training. Um, you know, and Rusty might clear two or three balls, particularly on a wet evening I remember one particular evening he you know, Rusty he was cleaning me out and um you know Jerry would Jeremy would let this roar come on Rusty you've been cleaned you know and you know and I'm under my breath saying you bollocks you know um, but like gritting my teeth to try and win the next ball and like that's that's what he was doing to you. I mean if you went down into your boots and you know didn't respond um, well then you were no good to him and you know I think that's as I said that's that's the psychological part of the game you know that that was he was looking for a particular type of player and in the training all the time, he was, he was pushing you, he was testing you.
1: Now on the Sunday mornings of big games, we used to fly to Dublin, we used to meet in a hotel called the Oakwood Arms in Shannon. At that time, it wasn't as big a hotel as it is now. It's a marvellous, a huge hotel now and a lovely place. So we used to meet there for a cup of coffee and everybody would leave their cars there. So the bus would pick us up to drive us to the airport and the bus would drive right around the back of the hotel, come out the back and onto the Bain Road and on the way to the hotel. So we got into the bus everybody on, everybody in good form, drove around the back of the hotel to get out, and right there in front of us was the gate. And the gate was locked. So the busman said, we'll have to go back. And I said, we're not going back under any circumstances, even if you were to knock that gate. So I remember Tony Constantine and myself jumped out, examined the gate, lifted it off the hinges. We couldn't open the lock, lifted it off the hinges at the other side, opened the gap in it enough for the bus to go out got back in and said to everybody there'd be no going back today and the bus drove on onto the airport
4: one other thing i think as well was that you know we am um, i i remember going down to I, I used to live in galway and um i think about maybe 10 days before the final um you know i was asked maybe ten two two weeks before the final i was asked to go down to a summer camp or something and and you know just show my face whatever at my old club in Galway down down in Woodford and um, I think Paddy Curran from offley um, was running the summer camp at the time and, and I just sensed from Paddy, you know you know Petty be a fierce hurling but I just sensed that you know maybe these guys don't actually don't I don't they rate us and I don't think they actually take us that seriously and you know maybe Offaly did under- underestimate us but I think it was maybe the the, the week prior to the game I remember Jared just calling us in. And, and giving us a talk and I remember him saying that, you know, if we made a ba- if we make a battle of it, no one will beat us. And I remember coming out of that dressing convinced he's dead right. If we make if we turn this thing into a battle, into a fight, you know, there is nobody, nobody going to beat us. And um you know I think yeah we went up to that that game, um, prepared to win, ready to win, and knowing that we could win, you know, if, if it became a fight which which most intercounty um championship matches are anyway.
0: It's a free-to-clear behind their own 70-yard line as Frank Nohan races back to pick up Billy Dooley. The striking, will it be done by Sean McMahon or will it be done by the captain of the man that'll do it? Well, he's 60, he's 95 yards out. Could he get a point? 95 yards out, it's going a little to the left. It's blocked out by the goalkeeper. It's put in and it's gone into the back of the net by Eamon Taft. It's a goal for the clear, Aim and tap the scooter, and they are leading. We
6: were different people, there's no doubt about that, like we, there was an, there was an old swagger in our steps, and, and definitely you went going into work and stuff, you were, you were a new man early, you know, than what you were before the monster final, and I remember like uh, beforehand, as we normally did, the Sparrow and myself probably went for a swim on the Saturday, and and uh, remember feeling you know talking and I said what you think and he said I think we're going to win it you know and he says you know and I remember saying I I think the same like you know I thought it was our year at that stage you know I had bought into the theory that it was our year and it, I suppose there was a bit of old magic in the air in Crow Park the same day it just seemed to me that some things the way they fell into place you know would just seem that the, the old gods were contriving sometimes then you could be as prepared and as focused another day and nothing to go your way you know and I just felt on that day that no matter awfully to us got two fortunate goals but we never dropped our heads we came out and hurled away hurled away hurled away and eventually I suppose it was late but eventually we did get the old breaks and the old ball t- hit the crossbar and come down sure, and aim and Teff and you know and then the last two scores from the freeze like just things just I suppose it's all about timing there's a lot of things in life and you could be getting those breaks awfully got the break two minutes before half time and everyone tells you that's a great time to get a goal but it's probably a better time to get it with two minutes to go, like you know, because it's hard to come back from it.
1: We're now coming in the door of my family home. Uh, this is where I grew up, of course. It was rare than grew up. And the first thing that you see when you come in the door, standing over here, is my father's fiddle, because he played this almost every night, especially in wintertime. Now, I don't know if it's still working, because I was never a great fiddler myself, but we'll just have a go. It sure is. Only if I had somebody to work it properly. So, as I said, when I was growing up here, traditional music was central to our lives and to the lives of all our neighbours here. My father and most other men in the families around here were able to play a musical instrument, which they did mostly in wintertime. And, of course, outside of Clare, uh, traditional music was regarded as the central tradition in Clare. But I suppose since 1995... For the younger generation growing up then, my own two sons included, it was hurling rather than traditional music that now really defined the Clare tradition. And I suppose of all the things that happened and all the great things that happened about 1995, that was the greatest legacy of all, that hurling could supersede Irish traditional music as the real thing that defined the Clare identity.
0: We have listened to money Many jibes down through the years. We were told to stick to our traditional music. Well, in Clare, we love our traditional music, but we love our hurling as well.
7: As Anthony Gale said, we were often, there was jibes thrown at us about sticking to our traditional music, but um, living in Spencil Hill now, which should be well known for its music, it's, it's great now that we can also look back in our... Our great hurling uh, days, as well, as well as talk about our music.
5: Enchanted with the novelty, delighted with the scenes wherein my early childhood I oftentimes times have been. I thought I heard a murmur. I think I hear it still. Tis that little stream of water as. The cross of Hill.
6: I suppose for a lot of us it changed our lives in lots of ways, you know, in terms of what we did in employment and all sorts of ways it affected our lives and changed them nearly all for the good and uh, I suppose there's they're just a great store of memories to have like in the in back there in the back of your head and um the one thing I can I always say is no one can ever take it away from us, like, you know, that we won two errands, like you could you could make a mess of a lot of parts of your life, and you know, but still, no one can ever take that half and That's a, a great thing to be able to say. Like I, don't know, we, I suppose when we were all small boys, going to watch the Clare team playing in '78 and in '81 and '86, and we dreamed of, I suppose, winning in the backyard, and we dreamed of winning the Ireland
7: someday, you know. And you probably thought it was only a dream, but it came through. And it certainly would have helped a lot of lads in other aspects of life, you know that. Uh, and it would have helped all of us I suppose in, in, in ways I and mean, even getting interviews and things like that and you know I think the fact that you would have achieved such a success you know people would stand back and say well they must be very committed people or, and um, very solid people to be able to do that so I think there was that kind of a bonus in it that people would have seen the commitment that people can give and would have thought well if a guy can be this committed well he might have something to offer me and then someone or lads got involved in pubs and shops and things like that and uh would have it would've obviously the fact that we won the All Ireland was a huge benefit to them and and um they made great success of that and it was it was great that they did. And I think in fairness it it helped all of us. Some more than others I suppose is what you'd be saying. Um but I don't think I don't think there's anyone
3: who would say that it didn't help them in some way. It was a bigger deal for supporters and for Claire people who were travelling home and travelling from abroad um to watch the games than it was for the actual players um and I'd say I'd say nearly every one of the players would say that that it was a much bigger deal for for anyone who was coming home to 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 watch it and they got more out of the su- success than 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 we did in a way um because you know at, at the end of the day like you're a player and no matter what happens you always have the next game to play Like, and you're only as good as that next game Like, so there was no point in getting too carried away with um, winning something now especially when you're only, like the majority of us were only you know we were 23, 24, 25 and like we have most of the championship games coming up when you're 26 or 27, 28 like, so there was, I suppose there was no real um, it was bigger for supporters than it was for players but that's not to say that the the players didn't enjoy it and maybe we'll enjoy it more when we stop playing or when you sit down and and watch the videos or whatever
0: It's an incredible sight right on the field they may have been waiting 81 years for a second All-Ireland they certainly have done it in style and what celebrations will be all over Clare not for a day not for the week, but weeks and months, and maybe which will stretch
6: for a year. Where it struck me most, anyway, you know, it was magic going to the schools and all that. We always, all of us, said there's magic in the schools because the awe and the wonder in kids who were probably old enough to understand eight, nine, ten, and then the secondary schools as well. Like, um, but to me, myself, was older people. Like, you know, uh, I remember meeting my brother's father-in-law. Who He's still alive You know But I suppose considered himself An old man at the time But um, He He was crying down Thorless after he won it Like Because he Definitely He'd been to every Cleaner match I'd said It was Every championship match Over the years And all the defeats And he could remember Back to 55 And all that You know And he was crying Like a baby Like you know I suppose as players We couldn't We found it hard To take it in What it meant to other people But I suppose to me It was the older people Having finally seen the day You know You know And uh that was that was, that was was what it meant I suppose most And we didn't realise, it didn't sink in I suppose With the players until uh, you know In in a bit of time afterwards When you had a bit of quiet time to think about what it was And you had to look at videos and stuff like that And see people's reaction At the time it was very hard to You are so wound up in the, ma- the match And you are so wrecked after the match as well like, And it drained you so bad So it takes a while But I think to me anyway, it, it was some of the older folk you know And what it meant to them like you know
7: yeah, I I said it was it was a huge thing for the county. There's absolutely no doubt about it, and I think everyone, players, management, supporters, everyone really enjoyed it and got great sense of satisfaction and joy out of it. And uh, you know, I I think the phrase that people often said was how it um, just brought us a huge uplifting in people, and that uh, there was a buzz in people from it. And you know, it was great to see that, and I think it did do that.
6: I suppose one of the great memories would be you know when I suppose Tony Constantine took the microphone and, and, and sang a verse and a bit of my lovely Rosa Clare and just to hear all the together the thousands down below us joining in and you know it was uh, we were all in the Hogan looking down at them and that was a was a special moment in the whole thing as well um, there was lots of them but that was certainly one of them like they sang it to men and to a child I think and it was, a, it was great Oh my lovely uh,
1: of Claire. you're the sweetest girl I know. Well, it's 10 years on since that magical year of 1995, and of course, many things have changed since. Players have moved on. I, Tony Constein, Mike Mack, all have gone from it as well. A new year has started in Claire, but every now and again, something happens that brings the memories of that great year flowing back. Memories of the colour. The joy and the excitement that the Clare supporters brought, especially in their away trips to Dublin, the journey up, but especially the journey back after winning, flags hanging out the windows, and uh, visiting all the places on the way down, and and as well as that, the huge reaction there was to Clare's victory from all all other counties throughout the whole of Ireland. And uh, I suppose what it said, what what it shows everybody is that Hurling was more than a it was more than just a game. It was a movement of people. It was a liberation of people, I suppose in Clare, and that was the greatest thing of all about it. To hear people now saying, "For people that had passed on, I was I was glad they were there to see Clare winning that All Ireland." I mean, that's better than having any medal or winning any medal. And it it, it brings back to me the words of William Wordsworth when he said, "For oft when on my couch I lie." in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with those croak Park trills. Now, I think Wordsworth put in daffodils instead of croak Park, but that's what it meant. You know, when you look back on it and think of some of the great things that happened, that had nothing to do with holding whatsoever. You know, people that you saw in their eyes what it meant for Claire to win. That was the great thrill of it. And that is what gives such huge satisfaction and contentment that I think will last a lifetime. My lovely
3: rose of clay. And I will always
4: love you, my lovely